When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Edge Rush, the full slate NFL betting preview here on the Hammer Betting Network. My name is Chris Abbott, and I'm joined, as always, by professional better hitman and Cleve TA. As week nine, I finally get your name right. I apologize for that. It's so weird when you read a name on Twitter and it just sticks in your head and you hear somebody say it once. And man, the guys from Cleveland, of course, it's Cleve TA and Cleve Analytics. So I have to give you a public apology for that to start the show. No, I, I just blame Canada. I figured it was a Canadian thing. So I let it go for uh, for all these weeks, but it's all good. No problem. Fans of a certain age will certainly start to sing that song in their head right now uh, from South Park. All right. Well, T.A., I'll start with you uh, as we go to the Thursday nighter. I mean, we've had uh, our share of weird and and just not good Thursday nighters this season and and in seasons past as we all know there's there's a section of the fan base and the player base that do not want to play these games on Thursday night we have the Philadelphia Eagles 7 and 0 5 and 2 against the spread now as a two touchdown favorite heading to Houston in a game where the Texans come in at 1 5 and 1 straight up 3 3 and 1 against the spread Total opened at 43. It's now at about 45. Line opened at minus 13. It's at minus 14 now. No real surprise to see money coming in on the Eagles. But TA, you think there's a way to play this one? Yeah, and you know, normally I wouldn't um, look to a big favorite like this, but I do like the Eagles here. Uh, at the, I, I have seen it starting to trickle down to 13 and a half. So maybe there's some decent, um, you know. Uh, money coming in on on the Texans here late which is surprising but you know it's one of those things where I think kind of the old school handicappers will always take a big double digit underdog at home like this right so that's kind of like an autoplay for some people but I, I just think in this specific spot and again I'm not someone who who takes big favorites a lot I think in this spot this matchup what's going on off the field with the Texans and the fact that it's a Thursday night game and not a Sunday game um, you know, gives me uh, hope that this is a good good play here. So I have it personally, you know, again, uh, modeling is tough when you've got such a big spread like this because, there's, you know, fourth quarter is a lot of garbage time. But I've got this as, the, as Philly minus 16, so I've got some value here. Uh, but the way I look at this just on the field, this is a complete mismatch. We know that the Eagles love to run the ball. Best, you know, one one of the best running teams in the NFL, best offensive line in football. The Texans are bottom five in every single important rush uh, metric from a defensive standpoint. You know, not only are they last in explosive runs allowed, but they're 28th in, um, in run efficiency. They're 31st in yards before contact, last in adjusted line yards. So they're getting pushed around um, by everybody. And the thing is, they've done this against the third easiest schedule of opposing run offenses in the NFL. You look at who they've done it against. It's teams like the Chargers, the Jaguars, uh, you know, teams that are not necessarily, you know, big offensive lines that push you around. They don't have great running backs. They, you know, they've done this to, to the Texans and everybody has. And so now here comes, uh, you know, the best, by far the best run offense and, and offensive line combo that you'll see or the Texans will see. And so I, I just think on a short week, it's very difficult to prepare for this kind of co college style level of, uh, of offense that the Eagles run. So you have a short week, you can't really prep for it. Uh, and then typically you see like these, these, you know, big favorites cover uh, on Thursday nights uh, at a much higher rate than you would kind of on a Sunday or any other time of the week, mainly because again, the short week, you don't have time to prepare. Uh, and, and, you know, the scheme, there is no scheme advantage. So it's essentially just kind of you know, player and unit for unit. And the better, more talented team, if there's a big disparity like this, usually ends up uh, covering and winning pretty big. I mean, we've seen, I looked it up, double-digit favorites uh, since 2000 on Thursday night football are hitting a 73% clip, which 
I mean, uh, non-Thursdays, you're talking about like under 50%. Normally, it's not something you want to do in the NFL is lay double digits. So, you know, you can see that it, it makes sense because of that short week and all those advantages that uh, uh, the better, more talented team has. And then you look at off the field. I mean, the Texans don't have any firepower at all uh, without Brandon Cooks. And Cooks wanted to get traded. He didn't get traded uh, yesterday. So he made a big stink. Uh, on social media, who knows if he can even play? I mean, he he sat out practice today, so he may not even play at all. They may suspend him. He may just you know sit out just because his head's not in it. But either way, that's a huge loss. They're already losing. Uh, they don't have Nico Collins, who's their their number one deep threat uh, outside of Brandon Cook. So if both of those guys are out, I don't know how they move the football through the air. Yeah, they'll be able to run it a little bit with Damian Pierce. The Eagles run defense isn't great. But when the defense knows you're going to run it, it's a lot easier to, to cover. And plus, you know, once they go down double digits, you're going to have to throw to catch up. They're just not built to do that. And, um, you know, it's just not uh, conducive for for me to, to take a, a, you know, an underdog like like Houston here. So I just think for all those reasons, um, you know, that is why I think the Eagles can really, really ram it down their throat and uh, and win pretty big here. I'm going to make it short and sweet on my end. I agree with everything that TA said. I thought the breakdown was really good. And there's a lot of positive things and stats that support the, the Eagles and everybody, specifically the line of scrimmage. I mean, it's going to be one of the mismatches of the entire season on both sides of the line of scrimmage. But with that said, I mean – we're essentially saying that there's about a 15 and a half point difference or so between these two teams on a neutral field. And for me, uh, or excuse me, about 14 and a half, 15. And and I just can't get there as, as much as I think that the matchup edges are so pro Philly. I just can't get to um, lay in this many points with them. I, I felt like maybe 12 and a half would have been a little more fair. So you're asking me then, why am I not on Houston? If it gets to 14, it's because of those matchup edges. So for me, it just, it ultimately ends up being a pass. You know, one thing I didn't mention and uh, totally get it. I, I just don't think that if they had Nico Collins and Brandon Cooks playing, I think there was some, you know, enough firepower to, to get a back door. I just think without those guys, at least without Collins, like they just, they can't throw the ball. We saw it last week, scored 10 points against the Titans. The Eagles are the by far the best defense that the Texans will have faced. They're second in EPA allowed. Uh, the, t- the Texans have only faced three top 14 defenses all year. And in those games, they scored two total touchdowns and both came in the final three and a half minutes of the game. Uh, last week was complete garbage time. They scored with like 16 seconds left. They scored 32 total points in those three games. So it's like, they're not going to be able to, to even get a backdoor here. So unless the Eagles really turn the ball over a lot, it's just hard for me to see a Texans team, you know, have that capability to even get through the back door. I mean, there are some teams that have that ability to do that. And I just don't think the Texans are there, but I get it. Like, like I said, a lot of, this is like unconventional. A lot of people would never lay this number. So, uh, but you know, I just think the magic was too good. Yeah, in my opinion, I thought the best line that was available on this was Davis Mills opened around two thirty-two and a half pass yards, and of course, it got blown up right now. It's about fifteen yards lower than that. But I thought that that was a really good luck, considering, as you mentioned, the issues of Brandon Cooks and Collins. Well, I tell you what, that's definitely the more than I thought we would have a discussion on that game. I, so I thank you guys for bringing it. That's, you know, in a game like that, I, I guess it's a standalone one. So I don't know, maybe it gets a little bit of an extra look, but there's a whole lot to talk about coming out of the trade deadline yesterday. And one of those is uh, TJ Hawkinson goes to the Minnesota Vikings, who opened as a three point road favorite. They're now three and a half. The total opened. At 44, it's down to 43, 43 and a half. Um, and T.A., I'm going to stick with you to lead off here because you let me know that uh, you've, you've got uh, got to play uh, your eyeing in this one as well. Yeah, I'm on the Commanders uh, again. I was on them a couple weeks ago against the Packers. <clears throat> Didn't Wasn't able to get a good number last week, so I, I did not take them against the Colts. And, you know, they I would say they probably got lucky at the end to, to get that cover. But it was a, you know, it was a back and forth game pretty tight. 
I just, you know, again, I continue to fade the Vikings. I was on the Cardinals last week. I think if it wasn't for a muff punt by Greg Dortch uh, when they were down two uh, at the end in the fourth quarter and he, he muffed it and then, the, the, you know, Minnesota took advantage and scored. I think without that, uh, Arizona covers, maybe even wins. You know, Minnesota's catching every break in the book. I mean, every time, you know, there's a big turnover, they're, you know, they're there to pounce. The uh, before the game, you know, unexpectedly, the Cardinals uh, did not end up having left tackle DJ Humphreys. I, I took the Cardinals. I had no idea that he would even quite, you know, that was a surprise. I'll just put it that way. They're already missing their center, Rodney Hudson, and their guard, Justin Pugh. But the Humphreys one was a unexpected surprise Sunday morning. And, you know, he's a top 10 pass blocking tackle. So, you know, that was a big issue on the road. And they still, the Cardinals still had a shot to not only cover, but had a shot to win late. I, I just think, I mean, the Vikings continue to play one score games. If you look at point differential, if you look at, you know, some some fourth quarter uh, win probability metrics, you know, they are not a six and one, seven and one team. They are more like a four and three team. And so that's how I, I kind of rate them. And I look, look at the commanders who are obviously very frisky with, with Taylor Heineke. He, you know, he just continues to make plays that, that Carson Wentz could not make. There were multiple times on that last uh, drive in the fourth quarter where they took the lead that it would have been a fourth down and Carson Wentz would have taken a sack or thrown it away. Like there, there was no way he would have gotten out of it. Like Heineke did. I love his playmaking ability. I think it's a really solid team. The defense is, is pretty, pretty good. Um, you know, they're not elite, but they're really good at stopping the run. And they get good pressure, and that's what you do against a Kirk Cousins offense. That's uh, the best way to stop them. So, I just think this is going to be a tight game. And uh, you know, give me the hook here. Uh, you do have the capability with Heineke to at least get through the back door if you need it. He's one of those mobile quarterbacks that you know scrambles around and makes plays. So, you know, if they're down ten or you know something late, you, know, you do have that ability in the back door. I just think that the Commanders are you know just a frisky team that is playing well. And I don't think Minnesota um, is nearly as good as as their record indicates. And, you know, I just think that this is a a pretty good spot here for uh, Washington over the field goal. Yeah, I agree. I would lean towards Washington as well. Um, As you mentioned, you you look at a lot of the Vikings wins. I mean, that game at home against the Lions was a toss up. That game against the Saints in London was they probably should have lost that game probably should have lost the Miami game, the Arizona and the Bears win. You look at that, you're like, oh, they won by eight and seven points. It really wasn't indicative of how that game went. And it's funny because last year you were all everybody was saying, and I agreed, is like, oh, Minnesota is so much better than their record. They're just terrible at the end, the last two minutes of the first half and the last two minutes of the game. And this year it's been the opposite that they've been playing. They've just been making the plays that you got to make as far as fumble recoveries and, and all that type of stuff. But I, I agree that I think at three and a half, probably the only way that you can look is towards Washington in this one. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things I, I was blaming Mike Zimmer for the spread record last year. Maybe that was foolish, but yeah, six and one straight up three and four against the spread. Commanders are 500 straight up and against the spread. And uh, like we said, a lot of that damage on the record was done with Carson Wentz at quarterback. So, all right, let's uh, get behind Washington. It's hard It's hard to do, but listen, Minnesota has not been a reliable cover. And, and once you get over the field goal, um, I certainly, certainly see where you guys are coming from on that one. Okay, next up, uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, not sure how much interest that you guys will have in it. We've got the Carolina Panthers going to Cincinnati, the Bengals on the short week after Monday night. This line, look ahead, I, it was as high as nine and a half some places I've seen. Um, Tuesday morning, it touched uh, seven even. Now we're kind of back at seven and a half. Um, but it looks like it's probably going to come back to seven when you look at the price, like minus 119, 120 on the plus seven and a half for Carolina I'm looking at right now. So, um, again, you've got a, a Bengals team that last season, we touched on this on on day-to-day yesterday, uh, Bengals team that, you know, you'd never think – a year ago of, of laying over a touchdown with them. I'm not sure that you think about it now. So I'm interested, uh, Hitman, I'll start with you here. Is this a game that that you should mess around with, try and get, get creative with it and, and go with the Panthers who, you know, covered last week as well and and maybe get on get on some kind of roll with them or, or what do we do here? 
Yeah, I mean, there's reasons that you don't want to lay margin with Cincinnati right now. You have the cluster injuries in their secondary. You have DJ Reader, a really important run stopper that's still out for them. And then obviously you have the Jamar Chase thing where he's going to be out a few more weeks. So I'm really not running to uh, bet the Bengals to win by margin. However, I thought I thought they did make a, a good teaser play. And it's really more of an anti-Carolina position that, that I have. I mean, let's remember something about these Panthers. I mean, just two weeks ago, they were getting, was it 11 and a half at one point? They, they were getting against the Rams. So, I mean, I know that they have been upgraded. And I've personally upgraded them in the last few weeks. But I just don't know how sustainable this is for P.J. Walker. I mean, he did start two games in his career before this season. They were Panthers wins, but he really did not play that well. He had the Rams game where they really didn't even let him throw the ball down the field. And now a lot of people are saying after this uh, Falcons game and specifically after that one throw at the end to D.J. Moore and that saying, hey, you know, Carolina might have a quarterback, but I'm still not convinced. I still have the Panthers – power rated as the second worst team in the league so i thought that uh on a week that's short of many great teaser looks i thought that cincinnati was worth a look and one thing about there's a lot of minus seven 120s out there and that is great for teasers if you are looking to tease cincinnati because if the line was seven and a half then obviously you're teasing the one and a half but when all these books are dealing the seven minus 120, you're getting that teaser at minus one and you're not paying the extra VIG for it. So that, that's one positive if you are looking to tease the Bengals this week. And that's personally what I ended up doing. Yeah, I don't have a play on this, but I actually, <clears throat> I think uh, Carolina is frisky. And, and to me, if, if Cincinnati was fully healthy, I think uh, I would lean more towards the Bengals. But you know, they, as someone who bet the Browns pretty big on Monday night and watched them, their their secondary is a mess. I mean, they they lost Eli Apple didn't play in that game. He's questionable with a hamstring issue. You look at um, their best cornerback, uh, uh, Awuzie, he, he's out with a torn ACL now. He, he got hurt during the Browns game. So Mike Hilton, who's their cornerback, uh, who's their slot, ba- uh, slot cornerback, he's got a bad finger. He didn't practice today. It was a walkthrough. It was a simulated walkthrough, but... If that would have been practiced, they would he would not have practiced today. Um, and they have another quarterback who didn't practice as well. They may be down three or four of uh, their three or four top cornerbacks, which in that case, if that's the fact, I'm going to wait till tomorrow and see if they actually practice or not. That will be, a, I mean, that is a major, major loss. They obviously don't have DJ Reader still. Like, yeah, they've got Troy Hendrickson, but that's about it. Like their secondary would be a mess. Obviously, Jesse Bates is pretty good, but the cornerback situation would be a mess. And look, PJ Walker isn't great, but he can, as we saw last week, he can make plays when he has to, he can move around. Dante Foreman's a really good, I think he's a very solid running back. I think they could just keep this game interesting if it's over a touchdown with all of those cluster injuries in the secondary. And let's be honest, their defense themselves, the Panthers defense is, is pretty solid. It's kind of middle of the pack when you look at pass defense. Now, again, JC Horn missed last week's game. He's questionable. Dante Jackson, their other starting cornerback, he's questionable. He didn't practice today. So, like, to me, it's a really an injury report issue. If uh, if they can get back at least one of those two guys between Horn and Jackson, and if the Bengals are missing uh, uh, Eli Apple again and or, you know, Mike Hilton, I, I think I'm going to look to the Panthers at seven, seven and a half. So uh, take a look at the injury report for me. I, I just think they're a frisky team here. Uh, and they're one that is, you know, with, without Jamar Chase, this Bengals offense is not the same, and they can't pass block. We saw that on Monday. They're going to want to rely on the on the run game. Panthers are top five in, in run defense. So, you know, I think that the game will be low scoring enough where, uh, you know, Carolina could cover the seven and a half or seven points. So, you know, we'll see what happens, but it, it all depends on the injury report for me. Okay, moving right along, we've got uh, AFC East matchup. The Buffalo Bills heading to the New York Jets, uh, obviously playing New Jersey. I was going to say they're heading to New York. Maybe they'll stay in New York. Who knows? Um, we've got a 13-point spread. Uh, obviously, the Bills are the favorite here. Same time last year, a week earlier, uh, or a week later. It's a week earlier this year. The Bills with the same spread 
489 total yards. Jets had five turnovers in that game. That's uh, that's a lot. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, are we going to see the same thing here this week? Um, let's start with you, T.A. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't I don't have an opinion really on this game. I wouldn't I would never touch the Jets here. I, you just you can't step in front of this Buffalo train, even if you think it's the right number. Green Bay needed every break in the book to cover that number last week. And I just, you know, this you can't back Zach Wilson against a good team, uh, especially one where he's gonna have to keep pace. Like to me, if you're thinking about taking the Jets, I would I think it's strongly correlated to this under. I don't see any scenario where they're going to put up enough points where um, where it would go over and they cover. I think this would be, you know, this is a, instead of just taking the Jets, you take Jets and under, parlay it, and try to get a little more bang for your buck. But um, I don't really have a strong opinion here. I mean, I think, again, injury reports going to be uh, critical. Matt Milano, their star linebacker for Buffalo, he didn't practice today. Neither did Jordan Poyer at safety. Could be a couple pieces in that in you know, on that defense that are important. So keep an eye uh, on that one. But you know, not a ton for me here. I just think this is a, you know, this is not one that I have a strong feel on either way. I, I agree. It's Buffalo or pass. I'll just mention a few things about Zach Wilson when facing zone defense. Wilson, according to Sports Info Solutions, is the second worst quarterback in the NFL. Um, under pressure, we spoke last week about how bad he's been under pressure. Well, here's the updated stats. 47 pass attempts, completed nine for three yards per attempt. Uh, so I, I, that that's not very good. And he played Buffalo once, and that was last year, and he threw for four yards an attempt in that game. So uh, I do not envision Zach Wilson having much success in this matchup. So – I mean, the only thing I could do is, is play Buffalo or pass in this one. Sidebar, is Zach Wilson done, or is it too early to quit on him yet? I mean, the I probability – I'll <laughs> say the probability is low. It's it's very low. If it's not clicking for you usually in that second year, I know we will see examples every now and then like, oh, Josh Allen in his – what was his third year? Really took that leap and everything, but he's usually, the outlier, though. That's all we care about. Yeah, usually with quarterbacks, it's you usually have an idea by that second year, so it's not very encouraging. That's what everybody tries to do is they use Josh Allen as the barometer. Oh, if, if this guy, you know, he still he was able to do it. Like it's so rare for for a quarterback, a young quarterback, to just be this bad the first couple of years and then all of a sudden become you know an elite player. It's just and you know, look, Josh Allen's also six five, like two hundred and thirty pounds. Is can run run through guys. has has the strongest arm in the NFL. Like those are some tools that you can't teach. So he just needed to clean up the accuracy, which he did. You know, kudos to him. But you know, comparing him to any other quarterback in this spot who struggles the first couple of years is just foolish. So I, I personally don't see it. And it's not like Zach Wilson had some great college career. He was a one year wonder at BYU, and it was during COVID. So. You know, that was a pretty pretty odd year, so I, I wouldn't. Um, to me, I, I would say at absolute best, he's a below average starter in the NFL. All right, maybe we'll see some more Joe Flacco this year. I don't know. Um, all right, Mike another White. quarterback that's <laughs> another quarterback that's on the hot seat, I guess, a little bit. Um, yeah, you got to be really good not to find yourself on the hot seat in New England. Uh, Mac Jones and, and the Patriots host the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday afternoon. Patriots are a six-point favorite in a game where the totals 39, 39 and a half. Um, we got the Patriots coming in four and four straight up, four, three and one against the closing number. Indianapolis three, four and one straight up, three and five against the spread. Obviously, we know about the quarterback changes in Indianapolis last week. Um, I don't know. Does anyone have a strong feeling on this one, Hitman? Let's start with you. Yeah, I like the Colts plus five and a half. I mean, it's more of a play against New England, uh, laying this type of number. I mean, Mac Jones's performance against the Jets, it really wasn't very encouraging. And one would have to wonder if that roughing the passer did not happen with them down seven uh, on the pick six, which would have made it a 14-point game. And, yes, it was the right call, the roughing the passer, but it was pretty unnecessary by the Jets. If that 
if they get down 14 in that game, I, I don't know if they have the type of offense that, that comes back and wins that game. So, and then we're seeing a completely different line if, if that happened. Now, obviously, New England came back and they did win the game. The call happened. Give them credit. But um, they, they really have to play a perfect style of offense to win by margin. They, they can't turn the ball over. They need to play perfect on defense. And Mac Jones has been really turnover prone this year. I mean, think of the Steelers game with that interception he threw in double coverage to Minka Fitzpatrick, the Dolphins game, the Ravens game, he had a terrible turnover, the Bears game, he had a stupid turnover, which got him benched or whatever happened with uh, Zappi in that game. The, the Jets game, I mean, that, if not for the roughing the passer, that would have been one of the worst pick sixes that you've seen all season. So I just think that New England with the lack of weapons, and now you're without Devontae Parker this week, they just don't have the weapons right now to really get margin unless they play perfect. And it, and also add in the fact that yes, Sam Ellinger, he's not, he's not as good of a runner or close to as good of a runner as Lamar Jackson or Justin Fields, but mobile quarterbacks have given Belichick a little bit of trouble. So I know everybody's going to talk about, Oh, well the young quarterbacks, Belichick always gives them and them trouble, but you know, Ellinger's prop number closed at like 26 rushing yards last week. I know he went under, but this is a guy that you can use some designed runs with. So I just made that. I, I thought the number was too high. I made it closer to four. So uh, I took the five and a half with the Colts. I don't have a play on this. I I, I just can't get there with the Colts. Uh, they're just... They're just dreadful. Like they literally, uh, they barely have had a lead this season. I mean, their wins, you think about the Kansas city win came on the last, essentially the last play of the game. And that was the only time they were leading the, um, uh, the win against the Jags. Same thing. It was like, the, they, they just have not had, they're just not ahead. They're not a good team. Uh, um, so there, I can't, I can't get there, especially with, I know it's cliche, but it really, I mean, it is a legitimate fact that, Belichick owns these young quarterbacks typically. And I agree that the scramblers do um, give him a problem, but for whatever reason, they didn't run Ellinger at all last week. I don't know if it was a, just, you know, a matter of they wanted him to stay in the pocket, but you know, they didn't really run him, So maybe they will run him more and that will cause some issues. You know, I just, I think this is more of a low scoring game. So, you know, probably the points are probably more valuable with, with Indy, but um, I'm just not ready to, to get there. My, my numbers have this as a six point, uh, New England game using full season stats. So that includes Matt Ryan. And I just can't, I know Matt Ryan has struggled, but I, I'm not giving Ellinger an upgrade here. So, um, you know, that's kind of how I see it is it'll be lower scoring, but just, I just can't, I just can't back Ellinger here on the road. And, you know, they traded Naheem Hines. So that is a third down weapon that they would lose. And, you know, who knows how that, how that's going to affect the team, you know, morale they're, they're out of, you know, maybe they're, they're thinking that the team, organization thinks they're out of it. They fired their offensive coordinator. There's you know a lot of stuff going on with Indy that isn't very um, inspiring. So, um, you know, again, no play for me, but uh, I, I just, I can't, and I know Mac Jones struggled last week, but he, at least he'll be at home this week. So that's the only saving grace maybe. And get that feeling in your voice that, that you want more out of those teams. I think a lot of people do. And a couple more teams that everyone wants more out of, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Raiders minus 115, minus 120 on the money line here. Uh, lane one or one and a half points, depending on where you look. Total at 47 and a half. Jacksonville comes in. They're at home. They're two and six against the spread and straight up overall this season. The Raiders also only have two wins. They're three and four against the spread. Uh, one fewer game played. Obviously, they had their bye week already. So um, it's, it's it's a tough one. And we talked about this game a little bit on day-to-day yesterday, TA. Uh, some injury troubles uh, surrounding this one as well. So do, is there something there for, for us to pick through? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a – I like the Raiders. I always like teams that, you know, get embarrassed one week that, you know, they're good teams, they're good enough teams like the Raiders. I, I do like taking them in bounce back spots. You get full motivation there. Um, you know, and historically teams off shutout are pretty good, but I, you know, you've got, you've got the Jaguars coming off of a London trip without a buy. And we've seen a bunch of teams do that 
actually, I think we've seen every team do that this year um, that I can recall. But uh, And those teams have struggled on defense the next week. It's not necessarily anything with the spread, but, you know, historically the, the nine teams that have uh, not taken a bye after London have allowed their opponents to go over the team total, I think at least seven times. So, you know, there is something to maybe, you know, weary legs on defense. But I, I just think – and the Raiders, after playing the Saints last week, are staying in Florida. So they are actually going to have the rest advantage, if you can believe that, uh, from, a, from with a home team coming from London. So, you know, I, I think from that perspective, they'll be focused. A lot of times these teams, when they do the kind of back-to-back Eastern trips and they stay stay in the East Coast, you get kind of a, a good effort out of them. So I think from that perspective, they've got the advantage. And I just think... Uh, you know, the Raiders were dealing with a bunch of stuff last week, t- late in the week with, with the flu bug going around the locker room. We saw Devontae Adams this little uh, last couple of days of practice um, and, you know, was declared able to play Sunday morning. So, you know, that's not easy to bounce back from a flu after a couple of days if it's a really nasty bug. So he might have been, you know, affected there, you know, wasn't practicing. Uh, There's other players on the team with the same issue. Darren Waller got announced out last minute uh, on Sunday morning. It was a game time decision. So, you know, there's a lot of weird things going on. I don't really hold that against them. Now, I did see today that, that uh, Adams uh, did mispractice with another illness. So I don't know. This maybe this, is, this might be more than just the flu. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'm not sure. And that could affect things here. Uh, but, you know, Darren Waller was limited. I, I just figure if he's a game time decision uh, last week, he should be able to play this week. If you're that close to playing one week and you get an extra you know, six, seven days to, to prepare, you would think you'd be able to play this week. So we'll see. I, I just think that the matchup is pretty good. The uh, The Raiders have played a really tough schedule. They've, they've had a, a bunch of tough opponents here they've had to deal with. The Jags have not. Jags have a much easier schedule. I think some of their numbers look good when you look at some of the advanced numbers. And obviously they're better than their, than their record because of the point differential and all that. But, you know, they've played teams like Denver and Houston. Uh, they played the Colts twice. Uh, and the Colts, you know, one time without Alec Pierce and without Michael Pittman, you know, they and then they got they, they gave up what, 34 points the next time they played the Colts. So this offense, they gave up 34 points. They can't score, you know, 20 on anybody else. You know, they played Houston. They played the Eagles was their toughest opponent. And that was in a driving rainstorm. So that limited the the the, the Eagles offense. They played the, the Chargers when Herbert had that rib injury, he was not supposed to play. No Keenan Allen in that game. So they they. I think they're a little bit worse than what some of the people will, you know, some of the metrics will, will tell you. So, you know, they, they have not faced really a good pass offense to this degree uh, like they will uh, against the Raiders and, you know, their secondary is really their weakness. We saw even Russell Wilson have a bunch of big plays on them last week. So I just think good bounce back spot, uh, much, you know, really good uh, travel spot rest advantage for the Raiders. Uh, and I just think that on the field, um, between the passing game and, and Josh Jacobs, you know, they'll build without score them in here. Anything under three, I'm pretty good on the Raiders here. I wish I could add something, but this game, I literally made it right on the number. And it's probably the one game this week that I just do not have many thoughts on. So I'm going to roll with you, T.I. <laughs> All right, guys. My Miami Dolphins are going to Chicago, staying go. in the North. Uh, Jalen Waddle making me money last week. Uh, it was a great game in Detroit. Thank you very much for all the input, guys. I actually owe you some commission, I think. Uh, Dolphins right now sitting as four and a half point favorites. Uh, the total, as we look at it right now, is at 45 most places, at least where I'm checking, uh, using Betstamp. What do we like with this game? Uh, are the Bears coming around at all? Um, are the Dolphins about to take off? They got some help through the trade market. Will that really have effect this weekend? Um, let me start with you. Uh, let's see. Hitman, I think it's your turn. What do we got? Well, I'm going to tell you what. There's some great bets to be made in this game. And maybe the best bets you'll make all week are in this game. Now, unfortunately, I'm not going to tell you them. You're, you're going to have to figure it out on your own. And that's based off the weather. For this game, I think as far as the side goes, that if the wind is really bad, it would greatly benefit the running team in the Chicago Bears. And 
for, for one, because of the fact that, like I just said, that they're the team that's going to run the ball more effectively in all likelihood, and they run the ball more often. It's a bigger part of their offense. But two is the fact that Tua does not exactly have the strongest arm in the world. I mean, if you watch that game against the Lions, he underthrew Tyreek Hill twice for what would have been deep touchdown. So as great of a game that Hill and Tua had, it could have been more if Tua did not underthrow him. And you've seen Tua in the past has not performed well in some bad weather games. So I think that Chicago is definitely the, the side if the wind is bad. And as far as the total goes, if this wind, if these gusts are in the 30, 35, 40 mile per hour range, I think that that 45 total is going to close a lot lower. And I think that if the wind is very manageable, then I think this 45 total is going to go up because a lot of sharp people think that these two teams are dead nuts over teams. So there's some good bets to be made in this game, but you're going to have to follow your local meteorologist and not follow me on this one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He took a lot of uh, what I was thinking. You know, it's funny. I checked on, I think it was on Monday, uh, the, we looked at the weather in Chicago, and again, this was six days out. It was literally during the game, you know, multiple inches of rain, you know, sustained winds around 20 miles an hour, gusts from 30 to 40 miles an hour. It was it was going to be just a horrendous weather output. And then the next day, within 24 hours, all of that bad weather went into Saturday night instead. And so, you know, right now I'm looking at it. It doesn't look like there's any precip- precipitation at all during the game, uh, but the winds are, you know, they're dying down, but still, you know, you might get like, like Hitman said, 20 to 25 mile an hour gusts, which, you know, isn't nearly as bad as it could have been. So, you know, but again, that can shift again tomorrow. It could go right back to, to the Sunday being the, the tough weather day. So I think in general though, this, uh, as you mentioned, the, these are two teams that should be playing overs. I mean, Chicago with their kind of newfound uh, run offense with Justin Fields, putting up points. If you put up all that many points against Dallas, they move the ball pretty well in that play action passes. They'll take some deep shots. You know, they can score on anybody, especially this, this Miami defense is not very good, especially the secondary. Um, and then the other way, obviously we know Miami has the weapons and Chicago just traded Roquan Smith after trading Robert Quinn. So, and I know they've got some of their secondary guys that are on, uh, um, that are questionable as well. So yeah, it, it really does depend on what's going to happen with the weather. So and we've seen this total bounce uh, down and back up again. So it's purely dependent on the weather. Okay. Um, I just told you about my trip to Detroit. The Lions back home again this weekend, but they got the Green Bay Packers in town. By the way, shout out to everyone in Detroit for being so cool. We were tailgating. We had people offering us beer, food, hot dogs. The music was great. Uh, the cops were all, all good. I asked them about the drinking in public. They said, don't sweat it. If it was a different day, we might get you for it. So I actually had a really good chat. Um, the Packers have not covered as a favorite since week two. And that was also their last divisional game. It was against the Bears, who we just talked about. Uh, they did cover last week, although they've lost four straight games straight up. Um, any Anything in this game, uh, T.A., why don't I start with you? I don't have anything. I mean, if you look at just purely, you know, on the field, just the numbers, and you don't, you just, you know, did a blind test, and you didn't know Aaron Rodgers on one, it was on one side. Like just purely from a numbers perspective, I actually have this as a pick 'em, without any other information, just just what they've done on the field. But you have to have, you know, your priors involved here still because it's still Aaron Rodgers and. You know, um, they still have some talent on defense, but they're not playing like that. And at some point we have to, as a market, figure out, like, are we just going to ignore, you know, how badly they've played? I mean, obviously they've been, uh, their number continues to go down every week. Uh, you know, we saw they were big double-digit underdogs last week in Buffalo. So the market is, is taking notice. But, you know, I think on the field, I mean, uh, we talked about this last week. Hitman was like, you know, is Miami equal to Green Bay? They're way better than Green Bay. And that line was the look ahead was essentially the same you know, as it, as it closed last week. And so now same thing, it's sitting at three and a half. It's like, so you're telling me Miami and Green Bay are, are essentially equal teams. I, I, I don't agree. Uh, you know, Miami's about a half point better um, based on this. I, I don't agree. And so, you know, 
if it, I mean, three and a half, I'm, I'm, you know, tempted to take Detroit. I just know who's on the other side. And eventually you would think it's going to click a little bit. And who knows with Detroit? Now they traded TJ Hawkinson. You know, again, there's all the morale's really low after a lot of hype in the offseason. You know, I'm sure they'll play hard again, but DeAndre Swift did not practice today. So, you know, there could be a lot of things going on there, but uh, it's a no play for me. But uh, you would think, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the market is giving Green Bay a premium just because of the name Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers, that's for sure. I'm, I'm going to give you the bet to make with the Lions. Season wins. They're updated every single week. Lions right now at five and a half season wins over or under. They would need to go five and five for them to go over five and a half. Now it's juiced a little bit, minus 140. I, I still like it. I mean, the reason that it's as high as it is is that Detroit has a really easy schedule. They, they get the Giants, the uh, Jets, the Panthers. They get Chicago twice. But guess what? Like when the Jets and the Giants and the Bears, when they look at their schedule, what do you think of the games they're looking at that they're saying, hey, these are our winnable games? Yeah, it's against the Lions, who are one of my bottom four or five power rated teams in the NFL and the TJ Hawkinson trade kind of shows you what, what they're, wh- where their heads at for the rest of the season, as far as they know that the season's probably a lost cause. And you have to wonder now, do they really rush a guy like Jamison Williams back after they start the season one and six, maybe one and seven after this week. So I do last week, we gave you that saints 11 to one. NFC South, that's, I think, at four to one right now. This week, we're going to give you under five and a half wins on the Lions. They they finished the season, uh, I'll guess, with four. I buy that because Hawkinson's their guy that they look to in the in the past game, along with Amara St. Brown, to make a difference. And and the other side of it is, guys, you know when you're in a locker room and, and you got a big playmaker like that and you trade him out of town, it tells everyone that you're punting on the season. So, um, yeah, I'm happy to happy to buy that with you. Okay, uh, next game. You've got the Atlanta Falcons hosting the Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers coming in here as a field goal favorite on the road. Total is ticked up from 49 to 50. Both of these teams, one and five over under, which kind of stands out to me, and, and I don't know if that makes any difference to how you look at this game. Uh, Hitman, we'll start with you. It's funny because before the season, I was saying, you know, the Chargers might have the best roster in the NFL. And now you're looking and they've lost so many players to injuries as usual this year that I don't know. I think that they power rating wise without Keenan Allen now seems unlikely to play in this game. And we already knew that Mike Williams was going to be out. This is Probably an average team, I would say, power rating wise. So I think that you, you have to monitor the Falcons injury report with all the guys in their secondary, uh, if they're going to play or not. But it's, I'll tell you what, it's a Chargers team that has just lost so many guys at this point. And Justin Herbert really has not been having the type of year that a lot of people expected. Um and I think a lot of that is just due to the fact that he lost his left tackle. He's been without Keenan Allen, without Mike Williams. So I think that you, maybe, in, in my opinion, Atlanta would be the direction that I would look at. But a lot with Atlanta is going to depend on that injury report specifically in their secondary. I actually have to correct something I just said. Uh, I scrolled down a page when I was looking at my stats, and I said that these teams are both one and five over under – uh, that's useless. That's in their last six head-to-head meetings, and that goes back to 1997. So use that if you want. Five of the last six games with these guys have gone under. Uh, I apologize for getting that one wrong, folks. Uh, but the the correct answer to that is LA's four and three over under Atlanta five and three. So my bad, my bad. Yeah, and the um, I don't have a plan this either, but. You know, without, I mean, Keenan Allen did not practice today. It doesn't look like he's going to play, which is crazy. His, his, I've never heard of someone's hamstring worse during a bye um, after playing the prior week. So he's probably going to be out. Mike Williams is out. Josh Palmer just got 
clear from concussion, but he's still not fully. It's not a hundred percent that he's going to play. So we'll see, but they're just, they're missing so many guys. And then obviously we know on defense, you know, JC Jackson and Joey Bosa. So um, I, I think Atlanta has, if it's over a field goal, I would consider them. They've got a really, really unique um, running offense, almost like a full house backfield that they, they throw out there with Arthur Smith's, uh, um, you know, the way he's constructed that that run game. And the Chargers have given up tons of chunk plays in the run game. And so multiple 50-yard touchdowns, 50-yard-plus touchdowns on the ground. And so I think there is, a there is you know, you play this out. There are scenarios where Atlanta just holds onto the ball and eats up a lot of clock getting five yards uh, per carry on the ground, and they run play action, and, you know, uh, and they can hang in this game and have a shot to win. I just think that, you know, the Chargers, Defense, you know, we'll see if, if you know, I saw Jalen Hawkins did practice today. So it looks like he will play starting safety for Atlanta. He, he missed last week. AJ, you know, it'd be nice to get him back. They did trade for um, Rashad Fenton from, from Kansas City. It was a nice little trade there uh, under the radar. Who knows if he can play right away, but if he can, then I, I'm really looking strongly at, at Atlanta here. Uh, and I think that there's you know plenty of scenarios where they could just control this game, but I haven't taken anything there yet. Okay, moving to the afternoon slate, we've got the Seattle Seahawks coming in as an underdog divisional game against the Arizona Cardinals. Seattle, we're looking at them plus two and a half right now. They've been a little bit underrated. I saw somebody say today online, and I, I forget who it was, but it was another quarterback in the league. You guys might have seen this as well, and said that if Geno Smith's nameplate was replaced by Russell Wilson's nameplate, people would be talking about him for MVP. Not sure how you feel about that. Uh, not sure how you feel about Arizona now that, uh, I don't know, maybe they're maybe they're coming into form a little bit, four and four against the spread. Seahawks five and three against the spread. TA, why don't you start? Yeah, this is really interesting. So they, these two teams played just, what, two weeks ago or three weeks ago? And the line closed. I think it closed at uh, Arizona in Seattle. They closed minus uh, – you have to correct me if I'm wrong. I don't have it in front of me. I think they closed two and minus a half. two. Was it two and a half? Yeah. Okay, so, about, they, yeah. so they closed two and a half in, in Seattle without DeAndre Hopkins. Now they're at home with DeAndre Hopkins, obviously clearly better. And they're two and a half again. That doesn't make any sense. And I know people, you know, you, you upgrade Seattle a little bit for what they've done. But, you know, <laughs> if you go, I, I had Arizona in that game. I watched the entire game. If you watch that, they, uh, Arizona moved up and down the field. They got inside the Seattle 30, I think, five or six times uh, and, and came away with nine points only because. They missed, I think, two fourth down conversions, two fourth and shorts. They didn't have a kicker. They literally had their backup kicker in there who they didn't trust. He, he missed a, an extra point and, um, you know, what is not reliable. So they, they didn't trust him to kick, you know, anything more than, you know, 40 yards. So they passed up two field goals and, and couldn't convert on fourth down. They, uh, Kyler Murray was running for, you know, like a nice 10, 15 yard run and he just fumbled, got stripped and lost that ball. You know, they had like four or five different opportunities to score um, and they, they couldn't do it, but they did move the ball. So I think a little bit of that was misleading, uh, that final score. They did really do a nice job of holding down Geno Smith. So the one area where Geno Smith does struggle is against the Blitz. And he, he had a really poor game. That was one of, I think that was the second worst game he had all season was against Arizona because they're uh, either the number one or number two Blitz heaviest team in the NFL. So I think there is a formula there where they can hold down this offense. And now with DeAndre Hopkins back, you know, I think Arizona has a real shot uh, to win and cover. And I didn't take this because problems on the offensive line. We talked about it. Um, not only Rodney Hudson, their center, but their left tackle, DJ Humphreys, is a big, big part of that offense. He missed last week's game. If he can play, I think that, that you know, um, really puts um, puts Arizona in a good spot offensively. I'm surprised. I mean, I guess I'm not surprised that Seattle's taking money, but it just doesn't make us make much sense from a market perspective. You know, even after adjustment, I mean, there is going from from Seattle to Arizona. There's some level of, you know, uh, home field you have to consider there. So, you know, I I do enjoy what <laughs> Seattle's been doing, but you know, I think this, you know, with DeAndre Hopkins, this could be a good spot for for Arizona, considering if they get that offensive line, you know, 
injury wise. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I get the argument about what the closing line was just a few weeks ago, but I think that just a lot of people were really low on Seattle. I mean, the, the talk about at that moment, the talk about Seattle was, well, their quarterback is due to, to regress and their defense is historically bad. And I know that everybody gives a lot of crap to, to Pete Carroll, but he does do a really good job at developing a lot of players, specifically in that secondary. You see him now with Tariq Woolen this year, what, what he's doing with him. So I, I just think that these are two pretty equal teams. So for me, it, it, and I spoke about the Bengals teaser earlier. I, I thought that teasing uh, Seattle up from two to eight is potentially worth a look with, with that Bengals teaser. But as far as against the spreader, the total goes really didn't didn't have much in this one. All right. And a very, very small afternoon window this week. That's the first game. And the second is the Rams heading to Tampa Bay. And we talked already about some teams that have certainly disappointed fans and betters coming into this uh, season. Uh, well, here's two more, the Rams and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, Tampa Bay three and five straight up, two and six against the spread. Rams three and four straight up, two and five against the spread. Uh, Hitman, I know you've got some insight on this one, and I'm really interested to hear it. Rams getting three points on the road right now, total 42 and a half, 43. Yeah, so I don't like either one of these teams, I'll be honest, but I did bet the Rams plus three. There's still some plus threes, minus 115, minus 120s that are out there. And let's just start with the matchup. So Sean McVay has went against Todd Bowles four times in this Rams-Bucks matchup. McVay's offense has put up 40, 27, 34, and 30 points. Obviously, McVay's offenses were a lot more prolific in those seasons. But guess what? I mean, Tampa's defense was a lot better in most of those seasons as well. And a lot of it, in my opinion, is the fact that Sean McVay just does a really good job designing against the blitz-heavy uh, blitz teams. And the Bucks. we know of Todd Bowles, they're going to be aggressive blitzing. And I remember that last year, Matthew Stafford was really good against the blitz. So – and you know what? Tampa's going to have to blitz probably to get pressure because you just lost Shaq Barrett for the entire season. But you remember this also. They have a ton of cluster injuries in their secondary. So it's a Bucks defense that has been really poor as of late. And specifically, I mean, we're not used to anybody running against this Bucks defense. And they've been getting gashed in the run game. Now, I mean, the Rams, they cannot run the ball at all. So it's a terrible run defense. Uh, struggling run defense against a really bad rushing offense, but still, and, and then you look at the other side of the ball, the Bucks interior off offensive line has not been good this season. And we know that Tom Brady, one thing that he does struggle at a little bit is dealing with anterior pressure. And I know you might say, Oh, well, the Rams, their pass rush has not been as good this season, but, Somehow they ranked third in the NFL and ESPN's pass, pass rush win rate. So I could just see Aaron Donald giving Brady a little bit of trouble in this one. I made the game two and a half. So if I'm going to get the three and I do get the fact that McVay has just historically matched up well against this defense and, and think about where the Rams have struggled this year. And I talked about it last week when I was on San Francisco teams that were able to rush for, and play zone coverage behind it, like Buffalo, like Dallas, and like the Niners did twice. They're giving them, they've given them a lot of trouble. But sometimes, you know, someone just has your number. It's been apparent that the 49ers give Sean McVay matchup issues. And with this one, it's been apparent that McVay gives Todd Bowles some matchup issues. So I, I like the Rams plus three. Yeah, not I think good job breaking it down. I you know, I feel like a broken record, but injury report doesn't matter here. Antoine Winfield missed last game. You know, he's a big deal at safety for Tampa. They did get – saw Carlton Davis did. Um, he did practice today, so that would be a big uh, get back for them. And also uh, Akeem Hicks in the middle of that defensive line. They, you know, they got gashed by, by Baltimore in the second half. 
So, um, you know, they need him back in there. So that would be helpful. But yeah, without Shaq Barrett, their their pass rush really takes a big hit. And that's obviously, you know, the Rams are a different story on offense when you can pressure them and, and you know, versus when you don't. But obviously the key here is Cooper Cup. I mean, he didn't practice today. Sounds like that was intentional. They, they were going to give him the day off. But how affected is he with that ankle? I mean, you tell me, Hitman. We were talking about this yesterday on day to day. Like, I mean, is Cooper Cup the most valuable non-quarterback on offense in, in the NFL? You know, if he's out, what 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 is it line? Where do you think this line goes? Four, four and a half if he was announced out? I mean, I don't think he will. But, you know, if he didn't play or if he gets knocked out of the game early, you know, this probably is Tampa like four, four and a half because they just really struggle on offense. But um, that would, you know, I just don't have, I, there's too many question marks for me. In this I'm game not season. allowed to curse on this podcast. It's not <laughs> my contract that I'm not allowed to curse, but I'll just assume that I'm not allowed to. But yeah, I, the Rams are effed if, if Cooper Cup is out for this game. But I went with a lot of the reports out there are pretty optimistic towards Cooper Cup. And you sort I know he didn't practice on Wednesday, but he did participate in the walkthrough. So you would have to think that he's probably going to be okay. But yeah, that would be very concerning. By the way, what was he doing out there late? I can't believe they threw a screen pass to him well, down seventeen with three. You know, minutes. you know what happened, TA? It's that um I bet Cooper Cup over 91 and a half receiving yards that game. And he was around like mid seventies, and I made the call to Sean McVay. You know, oh, with you a go. minute left, I said we got to try to get him some yards to try to help me with my prop. So McVay called that screen for him. Unfortunately, didn't get the yards needed. And but yeah, that that was a, an absolute boneheaded decision. But by the I way, mean that had to be a player incentive thing. Want to get you know bonuses and things like that. I mean that's the only only answer like there's no reason to do that i don't yeah you know i i don't have any specific game i can't give you exact specific game where it happened before but i remember in the past that they've done this with cooper cup at the end of games where they just feed him targets also i i i think that they really do try to get him his stats you know when you know when it was because I remember it was last year Monday night in San Francisco there was a blowout and he was getting every they were getting peppered with targets like down twenty five or something in the fourth quarter late and he was just getting every target in the book you, so you, yeah. you know what it's funny because I was about to say oh I'm gonna put this in my memory bank for live betting now on live player props yeah. but it's it's no good no more because I'm sure Sean McVay realizes you know I'm gonna get my ass fired if I right. keep doing this and get him hurt at the end of the game so they, they say with uh edges that they're always dying and you got to adapt and I guess this is one that an edge with uh looking at Cooper Cup live overs and blowouts just potentially died man oh man that's uh hey Keep an eye out for it, though, right? I mean, take take one more shot just in case, just in case they are after something. Who knows? Okay, moving to the Sunday nighter, we've got the Tennessee Titans heading to Kansas City to play the Chiefs. Tennessee is an eleven and a half point road underdog here. KC five and two, but they've only covered three of their seven spreads. Meanwhile, Tennessee's five and two record sees them sitting at five and two against the spread. Um, always interesting when these teams get together, and it's a pretty big number. Um, do you have any insights on this one for us, TA? No, I mean, I have nothing here. I mean, the number is huge, but Tennessee has essentially been fraudulent from a underlying uh, metric standpoint. They haven't faced anybody outside of Buffalo, maybe the Raiders that you consider like a really good offense or pass offense. Those are the only two teams. And, you know, they gave up 22 to the Raiders. They gave up, you know, 41 to, <laughs> to, to Buffalo. So, um, you know, that was – and obviously they've got, uh, you know, facing Mahomes, a different animal. I mean, look at, look who they faced. I'm looking at opposing, you know, the last four games they faced. And these are just, you know, EPA ranks of those offenses, 26, 28, 26, 31st. Like they've faced nobody uh, on offense. So this is a huge step up in class, but I will never, you know, uh, it's hard for me to, 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 um, fade a Mike Rabel team as a big underdog. He's just, he's kind of like Tomlin in that, you know, he's really good at covering those big, big numbers, getting his team motivated. But, you know, they are outclassed here and we'll see what happens with Tannehill. Him, you know, he'll probably play, but he'll be hobbled. And, you know, at night, you know, I'm not going to even say they need to read off a bye because it's just so played out. But, you know, because Kansas City covers and wins a lot of time anyway. So it's not even just about the bye. 
But, uh, but yeah, I will, uh, as of now, I have no play in this game. You know, people, there, there was a release on Kansas city. I think it was minus 11, which, which drove this number up. And a lot of the argument was all, oh, well, the Titans are frauds or yard per play differential is terrible. And now they're finally facing a team that could put pressure on them where they're going to have to abandon the run game and all that. Mm-hmm. But I just think that, guess what, you know, sometimes the market is accounting for stuff. And I thought that the market was accounting for it. So honestly, I think that the line's gotten a little bit high where I would probably strong lean towards Tennessee. Um, The only thing is if it is Malik Willis, I want no part of it. Like I think the line could go up to 14 if Malik Willis is in. So I would say at the current market, I think the Tannehill is going to play. But, I mean, last week I thought the Tannehill was going to play also. I think the Tannehill is going to play. So, And I do think that this game does get buyback. And it it probably maybe closes around the original line, which was 11, if Tannehill does play. So, at the current market, I would probably lean towards the Titans. You know, and, and it's funny, the week, you know, it was a week two that they played Buffalo. That was a 11, uh, that closed at nine and a half. So to go, I mean, I know obviously things, Buffalo is a little bit better than what people thought, but to go from nine and a half to 13, if Tannehill does play would be pretty, pretty substantial. But yeah, this is, um, <laughs> it's getting, it's, it's definitely yeah, pricing. This line's going down. If Tannehill plays, this line's going down. Yeah. And yeah, yeah for sure. Soon. Okay, one game left on the slate. That is Monday night with the Ravens in Louisiana to play the New Orleans Saints. You got the Ravens coming in three and one on the road, three and one against the spread on the road. Um, Saints are two and three at home, three and two against the spread, coming off obviously a, a spread win, the shutout win against the Raiders last week. This line opened at minus three. It's pretty much been there the whole time. The total. Um, hasn't really moved either. So uh, I'll start with you here, Hitman. Any play for you on Monday night, uh, at least as we speak right now? I think if you do like Baltimore, um, you obviously you wait for the Mark Andrews news and then you could pretty quick try to quickly sneak in a bet because I do think this goes up to three if Mark Andrews does play in the game, which I think he will. I mean, Baltimore, they're in a weird position, though, where they're getting a lot of rest after this game. So there has been some talk about, oh, will will Baltimore sit a lot of guys just to get them that extra, extra rest? Um, But I don't know. For me, I I have a little bit of – I made it around two and a half. So if it does get to three, maybe – I mean, I was really hoping for three and a halves, which don't appear appear like they're going to show up. Uh, I I, I lean towards the Saints. I'm just a little higher on, on the Saints than other people just do the fact. I mean, I was so high on them coming into the season, got some really good numbers on their, their season win totals. And it is a very talented roster when fully healthy. So it's honestly, it's just a lot of, uh, I just talked a lot for me ultimately to say that I'm probably going to pass the game. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've talked about it too with the saints, like they're the most underrated team, um, in the NFL to me, just because of the, all the injuries they've had to deal with to all the key players. And then, you know, they're still posting really good from a net success standpoint. Um, you know, they're, they're actually one of the best teams in the NFL. Um, they're, I think they're number two. So just excluding all those, you know, uh, the, the, the EPA, which takes account a lot of the big plays and the, the turnovers, if you exclude that they're, they're a you know, top five team, but you know, they do make those mistakes. And when you have James Winston and Andy Dalton, those things are going to happen. You know, if they could get, I mean, if, if they get Marshawn Lattimore back and, you know, uh, you know, Bateman's out for the Ravens. And so we saw once Bateman is out of the game, they can't do anything on the outside. So it's either Mark Andrews and, and Isaiah Likely at tight end, or they just run the ball. Saints are a top five run defense too. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of case to be made here that the, that the Saints are the right side. Um, but, you know, the Ravens are always, you know, you get Lamar Jackson in a dome on the turf, you know, inside that, that, that helps things and, and helps the, the, you know, uh, stopping him is a difficult chore. So like at three, 
I would feel uh, a lot better taking the Saints um, if I knew Lattimore was playing and Andrews was, you know, out. And I don't think you'd get three at that point. So you'd have to kind of, if you're thinking about that, you have to kind of take the stab at it now and just hope he doesn't play. But, you know, I think the Saints are real live because I just think they're a much better team than than what, you know, people believe. And, you know, if they just don't turn the ball over, they have a real shot to win these games. So um, nothing now, but there could be a play on the Saints if it's at three. You know, get a little bit of some positive injury news. Tomorrow's the first day, essentially, for the, for the Monday night game for the week uh, in terms of injury reports. So we'll see. I mean, I, I don't have high hopes that, the, that Lattimore and Michael Thomas will play. But uh, you never know. So we'll see what happens. And that does it for the entire week nine slate here on Edge Rush, the full NFL week preview. Once again, I've been your host, Chris Abbott. I've been joined by Cleve TA at Cleve Analytics, C-L-E-V analytics.com at Hitman428 on Twitter. Follow all the good stuff that the Hammer Betting Network is doing at thehammer.bet and the Hammer HQ on Twitter. Thanks so much. Thanks so much to producer Jason, and we'll see you all next week.